Call Podcast. I'm Isaac Weston. It's a very special episode. It's not an interview. It's not a smoke and mirrors. However, um, I'm recording this not impulsively, but I've been debating all day. Kind of had a heavy heart, so decided to do more like a reflection episode just of what's going on. So currently it is August 26th, 2020. I'll release this in the morning, so it'll be technically August 27th. Just a uh, quick update. Um, America, the United States of America, is undergoing more growing pains. Okay? I'm sure everyone's kept up. Um, I, I can't remember what day it was. I guess today is technically Wednesday. I think it was Monday. Maybe uh, Monday or Sunday night. Um, there was the, the Jacob Blake shooting in Kenosha, Wisconsin. So if you're not familiar with the backstory, uh, from what we've seen, a um, a man by the name of Jacob Blake can't remember the age. He's the father of a couple kids. Pretty sure he's married, if I remember right. Probably should have done some more fact-checking before I launched into this. Um, but anyway, he uh, was shot by police seven times in the back while he was getting in his car. Now, a lot of things remain unclear. From what we know, he was um, in the community that he was in. He was um, breaking up a fight between two women, domestic disturbance. And police were called because of it, and he was in the middle of the fight. And then um, he was going back to his car and he was shot. So there's a lot we don't know. I've heard a lot of different stories. There's a lot of speculation. Some say he was leaving. He had kids in the car. He was leaving to take them to uh, somewhere safe. Others say that he was fleeing police. I saw a video um, yesterday, I believe, where... Um, different footage from the one that was released. It was showing him wrestling with police uh, prior to him going to the car. There's also been speculation that, well, he had a knife or he had a gun on the car. He had a knife on him. He threatened police with a gun. Then that they're saying, no, he never said any of that. He had kids in the car. It was a dangerous situation. He just wanted to get his kids out. One thing is for sure, we don't know the full story. We don't. We don't know the full story. We didn't know the George Floyd full story. When it came out, um, we didn't know the Breonna Taylor. Uh, I think Ahmaud Aubrey uh, didn't know the full story of that. Again, there was speculation. There was stuff that, and again, I'm not saying anything is true or not true. Again, we don't know. But I've heard, you know, two sides to every one of these these stories the last four or five months. Whether it was George Floyd, where it came out later, he had uh, methamphetamine and fentanyl in his system. And I'm not saying that's uh, any justification for being killed by police at all. I'm just saying that's a detail that they just released within the last couple of weeks and really started getting some attention here the last couple of days. So my point with all this is not only do we not know the story, we probably won't know more details for a while if they're ever released at all. So um, all that to say, uh, it's it's tough. I saw the video of uh, Jacob Blake. They showed it on Fox News yesterday morning or Monday morning. Yeah, Monday morning, and uh, it's yeah, it's 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 disturbing. It's uh, again, we I didn't know the full context. I actually talked to uh, my buddy Denzel, 
Anthony. Um, love to have him on the podcast sometime, by the way. Because um, I, I just heard that there was a shooting of an unarmed black man in Wisconsin by police. And that's all I'd known. So, of course, you know, people were vocal about it. And um, on August 24th, I was talking to my buddy Denzel. And that's why I had us with the contacts. Because all, I'd seen, all I'd seen was the video. Anyways, um, yeah, Denzel's a great guy. I definitely uh, always appreciate his insight as a as a he's a he's a young black man, very active in Memphis. Uh, always been big in Habitat for Humanity, um, mentoring, pouring into the next generation, um, truly making a change. And I've I've gotten the privilege to meet lots of of great people in the city of Memphis and different cities I've gotten to go to, but especially Memphis, that's where I'm at right now recording this. Um, anyway, going back to my original point, uh, this is a tough time. Uh, this has been a very tough, I don't even know how many months now for America. George Floyd was end of May. Um, by end of May, early June, we're seeing a lot of riots and protests. Uh, we're seeing a lot of social change. We just had the NBA come back and end up announcing today that they're a lot of teams have pretty much postponed the rest of their season, but they uh, postponed playoffs today um, in light of the Jacob Blake shooting. Um, as they're you know playing in front of no crowd because of the coronavirus and they have Black Lives Matter on the court and they have different expressions on their jerseys. So they, they just came back to, uh, to play with some of these changes made to show the, the show unity. Uh, it's a it's a tough time. If you haven't had the chance yet to listen to Julian Griffin talk on episodes 4A and 4B, I encourage you, not because it's my podcast and I want more views, but he he truly had great things to say, and I've gotten a ton of great feedback from him um, or from, from other people about, about his uh, about his episode. The people really took to him, and he had a great, he had a great approach. He's seen a lot, and I really respect him and his views. So anyway, just, just a quick plug on that, but Right now, we're in a season for lamenting. I think biblically, uh, of course, the Old Testament is, is about the Israelites, is about the Jews in the Bible, the, the true Jewish race. And one thing that I think the Jews, um, and, and to my understanding, they still practice it today, but one thing that they have gotten right historically um, through Scripture, and then, like I said, today, as far as I understand, is they have something called Shiva, which is a week-long, it's a seven-day period of mourning. They grieve. It's bereavement. So they'll have a, have a proper burial, a funeral for somebody, and then they spend a week grieving. And, and there's, you know, there's a spiritual aspect to it, of course. It's complete reliance on the Lord. Um, but also you think of just the, the emotional toll a death or a traumatic experience has on an individual. And when you can take seven days to focus only on that and process that, the wonders it does for your mental health. And I'll go more into that here, here later. Um, but I think, you know, that's one thing that they have done right. And I think that that is whether, you know, you believe in the Bible or not, Judaism, Christianity, Muslim, you know, nothing, whether you're a person of faith or not. Um, that is something that I do admire. A lot of a lot of different um, practices, groups, belief systems talk about meditation. Talk about clearing your mind. Then um, that kind of 
you know, plays plays right into that as well. You're, you're having time to grieve, to process something. You're not going to act viscerally on your emotions. Um, it's tough. Uh, even seeing stuff. I remember watching the George Floyd video, watching the um, Jacob Blake, sorry, Jacob Blake video as well. And they are, they're disturbing. They are. I don't really care what went into it. Uh, just, just from what you've seen, it's, it's unnecessary. Now, again, I don't know the full context. I don't want to make any assumptions on either side here about Jacob Blake. Cause again, everything's so fresh, so new. Um, if true, everything that I've heard about how he was just trying to leave, get his kids out of there, either way, getting shot in the back, that's just, unless he actually was reaching for a gun and we don't know that and it comes out later, of course I'll, I'll correct it, but like, unless that's, unless that's going on and, and the officer saw something that we did not see and will not know yet. I mean, that, that's pretty, uh, I don't know if cheap is the right word, but it's just not right. Like. I don't know. It's, it's disturbing to watch because it doesn't seem right. It seems, it like I said, it seems cheap, almost like cowardice. Now, all that to say, you know, if if there was, if there's more that comes out later, and you see why they made it, I, I don't necessarily think that, you know, we're all a bunch of just bloodthirsty individuals trying to just kill anybody we don't like. So I'd like to give people the benefit of the doubt, and then I don't want to make any any rash. Um, conclusions without knowing the details but regardless nobody deserves that nobody deserves to die the way George Floyd did or Jacob Blake because now that what's come out that uh, he's paralyzed from the waist down um, and he I mean he's young he's older than me but he's young and he, again he's a father he's a he's a husband he's a cousin he's an uncle he's you know he's a member of the community he's he's God's creation so it's it's tough to see something like that happen. So again, we're, we're going through a lot as a country. There's a lot of division. There's a lot of tension. There's a lot of people hurting. And I've always been one, you know, almost to a fault, but I've always been one to, to really like facts, whether it's history, whether it's even something like math or engineering, how to do a little bit of that in the past. Um, and, and I'm, I'm trying to work on not being so quick to jump into facts that we, we miss helping people who are hurting because again, facts could come out, who knows it could change the entire context of the Jacob Lake thing. We don't know that, that all remains to be seen, but as of right now they haven't and there are people hurting and that's also a fact. I know a lot of people I've seen on social media, they're, they're really hurting, they're really struggling with something like this. So I think me as a Christian and me as a person who um, can't really empathize, you know, how do I start to understand them better, people that are hurting? Because, you know, when it's not this, it's going to be the next thing, whether it's, you know, a, a racial thing and not just, you know, black and white. I don't know why we've made everything black and white as if, you know, black and white are the are these antithetical, you know, races that they always have to, you know, I mean, I mean, there's Native Americans and there's, there's Asians and there's Hispanics and, you know, there's people from the Middle East and there's different, you know, um, parts like even Central to South America, just the differences you see there. And then 
different dialects of different languages. So there, there's a lot more than just black, white, and then like, you know, three other colors. There, there's a lot of different ethnicities. And so it's never just going to be, you know, one group versus another. Because at the end of the day, we are we are all human. So as of right now, um, you know, bl- black people in America are hurting. So you think as a, as a Christian, but also just as a, as a fellow American, okay, how, how can we help? How can we help, you know, mend this gap? I always think of Romans twelve fifteen. It says, rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. Like a lot of things in scripture, uh, it's, it's simple, it's understandable, and there's really nothing controversial about that. Right now is a time of a lot of people in America mourning, and I think we need to, uh, I'm trying my best you know, I'm um, not great at it, but I'm trying my best to mourn with those who mourn and just, just listen and learn. Um, it, this is all, it, it's, it's growing pains, but again, growing pains are rough. They stretch you, they hurt. They're not fun to go through, but when you come out the other side, you need it. You see how beneficial it kind of reminds me of this quote from JC Penney, the businessman who actually founded JC Penney's. He said, uh, I am grateful for all my problems. After each one was overcome, I became stronger and more able to meet those that were still to come. I grew in all my difficulties. So it's just kind of a reminder of what we're seeing, what we're experiencing now. Yeah, it's bad. Yeah, it's tough. And it doesn't seem to be getting any better. Because just when you start getting over one incident, there seems to be something new arising. But what an opportunity we have now for growth. So, where do we go from here? That's kind of the point of this podcast. I don't know all the answers. I'm not going to claim to have all the answers. Um, I, I've kind of narrowed it down to three points. And again, so, I, so I'm a Christian. I'm trying to put it into three points that aren't just this Judeo-Christian worldview. You know, here, here's what you got to do and follow these verses. Because, you know, again, there's there's more... There's more uh, people in America and the world than just Christians. And I understand that and, uh, want to be impactful to, to everybody. And, uh, so here's the three I've kind of narrowed it down on and I'll, I'll expound on all of them and kind of give my reasoning. Uh, number one, start thinking rationally instead of emotionally. Number two, start taking individual responsibility, individual accountability. And uh, number three, start treating others as individuals rather than these generalizations. So kind of how I got to those three. Um, a lot of us from just what I've seen, especially from March, mid-March when the pandemic got real bad, all the way till now, here we are, end of August almost. So you're looking at it, it's been over five months. And the kind of stuff that we've seen, and again, I'm not a fan of cancel, cancel culture, I'm not a fan of censorship. Uh, I'm not a fan of suppression, whether that's free speech, religious beliefs, um, just even to one thing I want to normalize again, it's just disagreeing with each other. I mean, it's healthy. I think of all the great conversations I've had and a lot of people will take this posture of humility and they've been so you know gracious as to call me out when I'm wrong or if they disagree with me, explain why. And just leave it at that. And then, you know, if we don't agree, we recognize, hey, we're not going to agree on this. Agree to disagree. As the old cliche says. 
you know, that's not the narrative that we have as a world today. There's no longer agree to disagree. It's if you disagree with me, you know, I'm going to name call you a bunch of these reasons. I dis, I disrespect you as a person now. Like you, you've lost all credibility at all sense of morality. I thought you had that made you a friend or a colleague, whatever, like that's gone. And then I want nothing to do with you. And like that, what about any of that is healthy? It's not, it's self-righteous and it's selfish. And I'll talk more about it later here. So why I started saying, you know, start thinking rationally instead of emotionally. I know it's easier said than done. You know, we all get emotional. We're all human. Uh, just, just a quick thing. I think about, you know, so for my, for my uh, Christians out there, I think about Jeremiah seventeen nine. always a verse that comes to mind. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? So that's the heart. You know, that's the basis for our decision making. You know, what we're passionate about, what we feel, how we feel. You know, it's deceitful. We know we it's beyond cure. Who can understand it? Uh, there's a good study I read on the Atlantic from let me see September 2016, and it talks about the best headspace for making decisions. Anger is not the best way to approach a big choice, but neither is happiness. And that kind of goes into it. I don't want everyone to think I'm saying, oh, you know, when you're upset, you shouldn't ever do anything. That leads to a bunch of violent protests. No, but kind of going back to the Shiva practice of the Jews, you know, taking time to grieve, to mourn, to to clear out the headspace that it's talking about here. So one thing I liked about this article, it was uh, talking about, of course, the way we as humans are wired and how we make decisions and how that's tied to emotion. And people of all color, religion, background, tax bracket, they're all guilty of acting impulsively, even I, I would know better than anybody else how visceral I've been in the past. Um, but so what it was talking about here, if I can find it, is it was mentioning this Harvard study, which I, I scrolled too far down, sorry. Um, okay. So, Jennifer Lerner is a professor of public policy and management at Harvard. And she's, she's talking about, um, you know, acting on emotion. So I'm going to just quote the article says, in fact, much of Lerner's research focuses on how emotions can influence decision-making and not always for the better. Your gut to the extent that it reflects your feelings might be steering you wrong. Take anger. One of the emotions Lerner and other psychologists understand best where fear breeds uncertainty, anger instills confidence. Angry people are more likely to put the blame on individuals rather than society or fate. Anger makes people more likely to take risks and to minimize how dangerous those risks will be. Other researchers have shown that angry people rely more on stereotypes and are more eager to act. It's an activating emotion. In lab studies, people shown angry faces crave a reward more intensely. The trigger-happy impulse is evolutionarily adaptive, Lerner said. She said, we evolved in hunter-gatherer times, she told me recently. If someone steals your meat, you don't think, should I go after him? No. You strike back quickly. So she's me, you don't even consider it. It's the way we're wired as humans. It goes all the way back to our ancestors when they were starting to you know, inhabit the earth. Um, of course, I like that. We, we don't make smart decisions when we're angry. 
and again too you know when you're in a good mood you may you know um have have terrible money management when you're in a good mood you know same way you know you're not supposed to go grocery shopping when you're hungry because you just buy a bunch of stuff you don't need so we got to start thinking rationally instead of emotionally that that harvard study there shows what happens when you are thinking emotionally as you're making bad decisions and i think just acting viscerally just rarely acts in your favor just a quick example because i'm a journalism major I got to go to the uh, this big press event in Nashville last year that was about, uh, it was like the, the Tennessee Free Press Convention. It was something like that. And Governor Bill Lee spoke and a bunch of other people that work in journalism and um, public relations, public affairs, all that kind of stuff they spoke. And this was right after, if you guys remember, this is early 2019, um, Jesse Smollett, the the actor, I believe from Empire, um, had just had the whole uh, news scandal where he was walking down the street in Chicago at 2 or 3 a.m. Two guys in Make America Great Again hats approached him. They called him the N-word, called him a faggot because he's homosexual, um, continued to slander him, tied a noose around his neck, beat him to a pulp, ran off. And uh, so that, that, was, that was a huge story. And then around that same time, there was the Covington Catholic school kids that were in Washington. It was a group of young high schoolers, uh, all boys, all white guys. And they were wearing Make America Great Again hats or Trump shirts or whatever. And they were there in Washington at a big event. And there's an old Native American man playing a drum, singing a song, something that was ritualistic in his tribe. And the the way it was shown was here was this one kid and he was, he was kind of the face of the group and he was kind of like patronizing this native American man. Well, these, these stories were about the same time and media as a whole had a field day. Well, of course, you know, people don't like Trump as a whole. Well, it's really neither here nor there. We're not going to talk about that, but the media understood both of these incidents revolved around Trump supporters. And plus, according to Jesse Smollett and according to this video in Washington, well, you know, the, the culprits were wearing make America great again hats. They're, they're outspoken about their, you know, uh, support for Trump. Well, later it comes out that Jesse Smollett, like that whole thing was, it was made up completely fabricated by Smollett. Uh, it was a hoax. And then it came out with the Covington kids that there was actually another group there that was pretty much um, having a little bit of confrontation with the Native Americans. And this one kid from Covington with his buddies stepped in between. And so, so pretty much he, he wasn't making fun of the Native American. He was protecting him. And he was just letting him do like his little dance and his song and you know his, his ritual. Because like it or not, the Native Americans, uh, they're, they're a very neglected group. And this is their country as well. So they have every right to go, you know, um, practice, exercise, whatever you want to call it, their beliefs, their traditions there in Washington. So while I'm at this press conference, a lot of media professionals, courses all the age of fake news, they have to come out and admit how they got the stories wrong whether they were professors, whether they worked for, you know, like a USA Today or a CNN, I think was there. And there's a lot of, you know, pretty high profile people. And they all had to come out and say, hey, you know, just a warning, learn from this. 
they didn't do their research. They knew people would be emotional and they ran on that. And then later it came out within the same week that they took the Covington kids completely out of context and they spun it in a way that would make them look bad for being Trump supporters and being white versus these natives. Again, more identity politics. And then Jesse Smollett, it came out again that it was a hoax and that even Dave Chappelle had a great bit on it. I'm not going to ruin it. But talking about how these two Nigerian guys that Jesse hired to do the whole thing himself. He, he, you know, framed it. So it looked like he was, you know, attacked by these racist, you know, white Trump supporters. But it turns out it wasn't. It was completely made up by him. And the media who acted on everyone's emotions knew they'd get a rise out of people because they could tie it to Trump. And they ran with the stories while details had not even developed yet. And then later they had to come out and CNN paid for it big time because they just had a settlement with the Covington kid for the settlement was, you know, the case was 250 million. No one has disclosed what the actual amount was he settled for, but it was, it was a decent amount. So they had to learn the hard way on that. But that's just, just a quick little, you know, um, blip it about how people want to play on our emotions because they, they know the kind of decisions we make. And they know what we're capable of when we're emotional. So they can get us all riled up. I'm just saying just watch out because we don't know the truth. And we do need to start thinking rationally instead of emotionally. Kind of need to hurry. I don't want to make this a long one. Goes to my next point about start taking individual responsibility or even said here individual accountability. I read a great book uh, last summer called Extreme Ownership. And it was written by two Navy SEALs, former Navy SEALs, called Jocko Willink and Leif Babin. I hope I said his name right. Uh, it's called Extreme Ownership, How U.S. Navy SEALs Lead and Win. It was recommended to me um, after someone sent me his TED Talk, Jocko, and he was talking about so just a very, very quick story. So Jocko was, um, I believe, a commanding officer in the United States Navy. He was a Navy SEAL. And they were over, and they had an operation go very bad, some somewhere in the Middle East. Can't remember where. Again, it's been over a year since I read it. Uh, let's just say it was Iraq or Afghanistan or something. And uh, ended up having some friendly fire. People got injured. Operation just um, got out of control. Was unsuccessful. Well, when they had to, you know, give a presentation, it was do a debriefing after missions to higher ups in the military. And they're asking, okay, this thing just absolutely fell flat on its face and a lot of bad decisions were made and people could have been killed. We can't have to let this happen. Who's responsible? And there was Marines there and I think there were like, you know, Green Berets or Rangers. There's a bunch of different military groups. It wasn't just SEALs. And there was also, uh, I think like Iraqi, um, like uh, allies there with them. And so the, the who all, who all, whose fault is it? And of course, you know, most of the guys are taking responsibility for it. And Jack was saying, no, no, it's not your fault. Whose fault was it? And then the next guy goes, well, it was me. I could have done this better. I could have, you know, verified this. I could have sent, you know, coordinates quicker. I could have been more on the rate, whatever. I could have been on top of this. No, it's not your fault. And he comes, he just comes out to say it was his fault. He ends up going to his higher ups, admitting it was his fault because he was the top dog and he shouldn't have let something like this happen. He ends up getting promoted not saying that's always going to happen to you, uh, but he took responsibility for it. And one thing that book kind of reframed some of my thinking, because they make it about just you know individual like disciplines all the way to business practices, is there's always something we can be doing better or doing more. 
in the society we're in now, especially with what we're seeing, everyone is focused. And of course, when I say everyone, I'm not talking about a certain group. I'm including myself. I'm trying to break myself of these habits. But we are all focused on what's being done to us and not what we can be doing better not what we can actually do. There's a lot of things out of our control. You can't, there's a whole lot of stuff in life you cannot control. But another thing we can control is how we respond to things. And the victim mentality, man, like that, that's not going to get anybody anywhere. It's never gotten civilization anywhere. It's never gotten any empire, any military group, any sports team, any business, uh, anybody who, who was a catalyst for change. They never did it by saying, woe is me, and look at this, and look what circumstance I was born into, and look at the way that this system is rigged against me. It's because everybody is going to have shortcomings, and everybody's going to have something working against them. But at the same time, we've all been entrusted with talents and abilities and opportunities, and we have to start accentuating that. We need to focus more on what we can do better instead of what's being done to us. Because really, like it or not, one thing I've had to learn the hard way the last couple of years, not everything is about you. Not everything is about what you can get out of it, what needs to you know be done for you, or how you're the, the main character of this story, whatever it is you're doing in life at the time. It's not about you. Not about me. And that's one thing I've had to remind myself on a lot of things is I say, it is not about you. So you need to get over it. Lastly, uh, we're talking about start treating others as individuals rather than generalizations. It's very tough. Government media, man, um, I don't even want to get all into politics, but Republicans and Democrats, of course, we have the, the DNC just happened last week. The RNC is happening this week. Man, um, especially during an election year, we love hasty generalizations we love saying the republicans are saying this is all the bad stuff the democrats are doing which is why you got to vote for us and the democrats are saying if you want more of this bad stuff to happen from the republicans then you know you, you can vote for them but if you really want change then you're gonna have to vote for us because we're doing it. and I, again the the human heart is deceitful above all things there's not one group that has it figured out and and the more that people can keep us divided the longer we can go without actually causing change, without actually coming together. So one thing we got to work on as a society, no matter what you believe, we got to start treating people as actual individuals instead of these generalizations. You know, you can't just put anybody in a box. We all have different, uh, like again, talents and abilities and desires and passions and backgrounds and interests. And you think, oh, maybe this guy is you know, this color and played this sport or had this kind of family or, you know, voted this way. Therefore, they like this and this only. No, everyone's different. And we have to start understanding, again, how we are individuals and start seeing people. One thing COVID, well, COVID taught a lot to us, I hope. But one thing I kept thinking about, well, a couple things. Uh, one was, yeah, um, COVID. Not everyone's been infected with COVID. Um, but one thing everyone is infected with is, is sinful nature. There is, there is a disease that every man, uh, woman, child, old person, geriatric, whatever, everybody has been infected with something called sin. And, you know, me as a Christian, I believe the, the only antidote, the only vaccine 
for the sin is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, Acts 4.12 says, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. That's Jesus Christ who died on the cross for our sins, resurrected from the dead three days later. Um, and through that, we have salvation. Now, that's one thing. There's something way more severe than coronavirus. And it's that human beings just at the core are not great people. We have seen that the whole time. But the other side of that coin is one thing that COVID has taught us is that we need everybody else. When we saw the way some jobs are deemed essential, some are non-essential, I, I get the principle, but at the same time, every job's essential. Okay, yeah, you're a YouTube vlogger. We don't really need you. I get that. But, you know, I think about a rising tide lifts all boats. If everybody is working, everybody has that sense of purpose, everybody's getting to just invest in their community, they're getting money they can pour back in their economy, and you can help out. Well, now you have people in the restaurant business, they're out of work because that was not essential. Well, they still got bills to pay. They got stuff to take care of. We got to help them out. So one thing that showed us was, man, we need everybody doing everything that they're already doing for a society to function. The whole thing about how it takes a village to raise a child, we saw that with COVID. We saw that. We need everybody. And I was hoping that seeing this void of a lot of people who are no longer in their position doing what they were already doing. And now you say, why well, don't you know something like a haircut or, you know, something like I'm going to meet somebody for a drink, but now all the bars are closed or no, now I can't fly because they cancel flights, whatever it is. There's a lot of people in society that we need. We all need each other. And I was hoping we, we'd have more of this, uh, an appreciation. I remember I was working at a moving company and when we started, we were about some of the only people on the road. It was construction crews, landscaping crews, other blue collar uh, guys, nurses and then us as movers and we'd be driving all around Nashville and stuff and customers would always just tell us thank you for what you're doing thank you for working thank you for doing this because you know it's not it's not a great time to be working but you know we're, we're so glad that you guys are working and helping us out but at the same time we're super thankful to even have a job and have some income then you know you go to the gas station and just be you and other blue collar workers and you'd be talking to them about how they're doing and um, how work is going, you staying busy, that's good to hear it. And you see a nurse and you ask them how they're going, you know, thank you for your service, stay safe. I mean, we started seeing this camaraderie again and we need to return to that. Um, there's no way we can expect unity as a, as a society when we paint every group with a broad brush, right? And just to end it kind of on this note here, um, like 9-11 doesn't represent all Muslims, Right. George Floyd's killer doesn't represent all police. Even Dylan Roof doesn't represent all white murderers. I mean, to, to use him as an example for every white criminal, and that's your that's your baseline. I mean, which just a quick quick thing on that. One thing that that church did really well. The uh, I think it was Emmanuel Baptist, if I remember right. Um, which Charleston's kind of near and dear to me. That's where my mom's from. But man, I don't I don't sit here and cry. But hearing the the. Uh, the way these people from this black church um, spoke to him when he was in his like holding cell there over the camera, however, however it was, and just talked about how they forgave him and loved him and wanted him to to you know give his life to the Lord, and and just seeing the way that they who were victims of his evil the way they, they grieved and they lamented, but ultimately they let him know, we've been forgiven, therefore we forgive you. 
I mean, man, that speaks volumes, even to this day. Remember there was a mass shooting at an Amish schoolhouse back in like 2006 or something, and the Amish did the same thing where they forgave the the shooter. And, um, I mean, you want to talk about how we get unity, man. I'm not saying we turn the other cheek. I'm a, I mean, I'm never that perfect by any means. And I do think there needs to be justice. And, there, you know, if someone breaks in my house, now's not the time to sit down and have a nice heart-to-heart. Dude, you're going to get rocked with some hollows. But, um, I mean, that, that truly does speak volumes. And, and just lastly, I, I kind of want to end it on this, something that we all need to work on. And I'm guilty of myself. Um, in terms of, like, cancel culture and stuff, stuff that we're seeing, it's unbecoming and it's narcissistic when we are offended by literally everything or just anything that we think we deserve to be offended by and there needs to be change because of it. I mean, people don't want to be around people like that at the same time, but also it is, it, it, it's, it's, it kind of shows we're at a society where we're very self-centered when it's, Oh, there's one thing I don't like. I demand change in this facet of society. And if it doesn't, not only am I going to, you know, throw some big temper tantrum, but if you don't agree with me on that, I'm done with you. You're canceled. Come on, guys. That, that's not, we, we do. Again, we need everybody. And I know, I've known a lot of great people over the years. I've gotten to, um, you know, meet natives when I was in Alaska. You know, I've gotten to hang out with um, Hispanics from different parts of the world. I've gotten to go overseas a couple of times. I've made a lot of great uh, black friends over the years playing football. And then the, you know, last six years I've been in Memphis and, uh, and everyone that I've met, they've all like broken the stereotypes for the most part, no matter what group you are. Because rarely are we our generalizations, no matter what group you are. I, there's there's Democrats and liberals that I've gotten close with that I, I truly respect and value their opinion, and I'm glad they think that way. Too, so we don't need everyone thinking the same way. And then I've also met, I've met you know Trump supporters and you think, oh, the way the news paints out Trump's there'd be some bad, unethical people. And they're not. They're nice people that lay down their life for you. So all these generalizations got to stop. We got to start seeing people as, as individuals. And I think that's truly what's going to start bringing some change. Lastly, just to, to wrap this all up in a, in a pretty little bow, is just a, just a poem again. Talking about the, the growing pains we're going through, the stuff that um, is tough. You know, we, we're trying to seek truth. We're trying to figure out. We're acting impulsively. We're people have the right to be mad. People have the right to be upset and want change. You got to fight. America was founded by fighters. Um, we got to fight for something noble. We can't. We can't fight. You know, acting emotionally and, and impulsively. But you know, we got to know. Okay, what is it's bad? What is the the good practical response? And then how do we implement? How do we fight for change? How do we make this country or this world, this society, into what we believe it needs to be and how do we do it practically with longevity that it'll it's here to stay uh i like the poem good timber by douglas malloch reads the tree that never had to fight for sun and sky and air and light but stood out in the open plain and always got a share of rain never became a forest king but lived and died a scrubby thing the man who never had to toil to gain and farm his patch of soil who never had to win his share of sun and sky and light and air, never became a manly man, but lived and died as he began. 
Good timber does not grow with ease. The stronger wind, the stronger trees. The further sky, the greater length. The more the storm, the more the strength. By sun and cold, by rain and snow, in trees and men, good timbers grow. Where thickest lies the forest growth, we find the patriarchs of both. And they hold counsel with the stars, whose broken branches show the scars of many winds and much of strife. This is the common law of life. Um, fight the good fight. Finish the race. Keep the faith. Um, we need everybody. I don't care what color you are and who you vote for in November. We need all of it. And it's okay if we disagree on issues. We can't make it personal. We can't cancel each other. We can't be victims. We got to see what can we do better. How can we step up? How can we be an instrument for change? What can I do? What is within my control? How can I see you as an individual and not just some person with a certain ideology with, with a total disconnect between us? Uh, thank you guys for this. It's just, it's, uh, I've had a lot of reflecting today and a lot of my heart. Um, don't really uh, uh, know what will become of it all. But um, I, I just, again, I just want to say thanks for the support. Uh, Cattle Call has picked up a lot of speed. Um, people have been receptive. People have reached out and so supportive and so encouraging. And it, uh, I mean, it, it makes me want to get better and to do this long term and have a lot of great guests on. I'm excited for my next guest. I don't want to spoil it, but it is a woman. I'm, I'm being diverse. Um, and yeah, just got a lot of great people. Got a lot of, got a lot of people supporting. Thank you for your support. Whether you've you know left reviews or ratings or followed me on Instagram or Facebook or whatever it is or promoted it to your friends, told your friends about it, whatever it is, just I, I definitely do appreciate it. It's not gone unseen. Again, that was just a quick quick reflection on what's going on, man. I um, I'm thankful for every single one of you. Thankful for everybody that's contributing to this to this country, this society, to this world. Uh, you know, no man is an island. We need all of us. Um, again. I'm Isaac Weston, and I will uh, see you on the other side.